second look by river writer chapter 11 scorpius started squirming to get down so she helped him off the sofa before looking back to draco she gathered her courage i need to tell you something though she swallowed thickly her expression must have been bleak because he immediately closed the gap between them and put an arm around her what is it he asked softly as much as she appreciated his attempt to comfort her, what she needed at the moment was space. She practically leapt off the couch, and when she turned back to look at him, he appeared upset, but was obviously trying to hide it. I'm sorry, but I need to get this out, and it's just too difficult to say when you're being so sweet. He started to smirk. I know I can be distracting, Granger, he said, ruffling his hair. She rolled her eyes, but appreciated his attempt at humour, and began to pace. It was only when she heard Draco chuckle quietly that she was pulled out of her own thoughts, and looked around to see that Scorpius was crawling along in her wake. When he saw her looking at him, he plopped back onto his bottom and giggled at her. He thought this was a game. "'You're going to be the death of me,' she told him. He clapped his hands, and she wondered if it would be terribly emotionally manipulative if she was holding him when she told Draco what she needed to tell him. She scooped him up regardless, and bounced him on her hip. Remember when I told you that something upsetting happened yesterday? Draco nodded. Well, in the middle of the party, in front of everybody, Ron announced that he and Lavender were having another baby. He looked away, frowning. He really is an insensitive ass, isn't he? His jaw was clenched, and he was obviously trying to suppress his anger. Unbelievably so. But it's actually worse than you think. She swallowed nervously again, and clutched Scorpius to her as a means of fortifying herself. The reason it was insensitive is not because he cheated on me with Lavender, and now they're having a family together, and were bragging about it in front of me. It's much more cruel than that. The thing is that I quite possibly won't be able to have children, and Ron knows it. He whipped his head back around to face her, looking aghast. She just nodded and continued her explanation. And we all had health checks after the war, and they discovered extensive scarring on my reproductive organs. The healers don't know if I'll be able to conceive a baby, much less carry one to term. They believe the chances will get slimmer the more time that passes, and it's already been eight years since the diagnosis. Ron wanted to get married and try for a baby immediately, but I knew we weren't ready. When he was in one of his nastier moods, he would taunt me, imply that I wasn't a whole woman. He's still rowing my face in it, it seems. She sighed and pushed that thought away. Ron's insensitivity wasn't really relevant to this conversation, the story was just a conduit to tell Draco about her health issues. Anyway, if we're doing this, I thought you deserved to know from the start that there is a pretty good chance I won't be able to give you any more children, if we get to that point. There was a long pause, and she couldn't bear to look at him. She told so few people about this, and most of them had been completely supportive, but Ron was the only one who she seemed to be, be dating when she told him and he had made her feel like he was doing her a favour by sticking with her. In retrospect, it had been utterly humiliating. She didn't want to go through that again, nor did she want to lose Draco. 
but she knew that fertility was highly important to Pureplutz. The magical community being so small, it was important to have a child to keep the society alive. But Draco did already have Scorpius, and she could only hope that, perhaps, it wouldn't matter to him. It's because of what Aunt Bella did to you, isn't it? he said suddenly, breaking the tense silence. She nearly winced before stealing herself. It's a result of the Cruciatus damage, yes, and also complications from a curse I was hit with in the Department of Mysteries. She answered in a business-like fashion, determined to tell him the whole truth, despite how awkward it could make things between them, given his family's involvement in both of those events. He sat forward, resting his elbows on his knees, and rubbing his face vigorously with both hands. Please tell me it wasn't... She cut him off before he could finish formulating the question. It was Dolohov, she assured him. He let out a sigh of relief and looked up. He appeared absolutely wrecked. It's not really better, though, that it wasn't my father. Merlin, I'm so sorry, Hermione. So fucking sorry. His voice was breathy and agonised. She shook her head vigorously, and choking back tears. I won't lie to you. You did a lot of things wrong, but you're not responsible for this. She took a deep breath. I yelled at my dad over you, she blurted. They just blinked at each other, each trying to make sense of that. Oh? he said eventually. She blew out a breath. My dad and I don't ever fight, but he just... He knows who you are, and when he pointed out how much baggage we have between us, I got angry. When he implied that Scorpius was part of that baggage, I basically saw red and attacked. And my point is that I'm invested in this, enough to fight my dad over it. I've thought about this, including our past, and I'll tell you what I'm told him. It's over. We can't change it. But we were children. And more importantly, you've changed. I don't know if I can express how much I admire you for that. There were several beats of silence, and he held out both hands for her. She took them, and he pulled her back onto the couch, tucking her securely against his side. I saw you, he said. It was apparently his turn to make a random observation. She looked at him questioningly. I saw you for the first time. Really saw you. Last week in the apothecary. She frowned, trying to make sense of the statement. What do you mean? My hatred for you at Hogwarts was real. For years I believed that it was because of your blood status. Now I know it was because you weren't the inferior being you were supposed to be. Almost from the moment we met, I started questioning my ideas about blood. I just didn't realise it at the time. The fact that you were making me subconsciously question my most fundamental beliefs made me despise you. He paused and smiled to himself, his mind obviously far away. It was a bitter look. Oh, and it was so easy to hate you. You were so frustratingly good at magic, and so very annoying. He shot her a sly, teasing smile. She rolled her eyes. I know I could be a little overly enthusiastic, she admitted. He chuckled, his face relaxed. But I was always drawn to you. I couldn't help but pay attention to you. Negative attention, she pointed out. But he smirked playfully, showing he that he wasn't upset. He rolled his eyes. No, you're right. It was negative attention. 
Merlin, I'll never forget that comment you made about me buying my way into the Quidditch team. And that was the first time I ever used that word, if you can believe it. I do have a hard time believing it, she said, recalling with perfect clarity how that insult, filthy mudblood, had rolled off his tongue. Well, it was. My mother would have scourgified my mouth. Not that she necessarily would have disagreed with the sentiment, but such language. Not befitting a Malfoy. He wagged a finger at her playfully. Of course, ironically, I learned that word from my father. He snorted derisively. There was a few beats of uncomfortable silence. It was the worst insult I could think of, but it didn't even seem to phase you. It never phased you. She shrugged. It meant something to you, and Ron, because you grew up knowing that it was a bad word. I didn't. I hated what it meant, of course, once it was explained to me. But as insults went, I thought it was rather uncreative. I mean, it's not like there's dirt actually running through my veins. He just shook his head. I'm still sorry for every time I used it, and for all the terrible things I said and did and thought about you. His voice was low and grave. He drew her against him even more firmly. Scorpius's squirm, but just situated himself again on her lap as if he understood that they needed his soothing presence. You don't need to keep apologising. I said, and I did, and I thought some pretty terrible things about you too. You may have been prejudiced against my blood status, but I was prejudiced against your house, and I judged you for your father's actions. Neither of us is blameless. He rubbed the pad of his thumb against her cheek tenderly, and his lips blossomed into a smile. I hardly ever got to you. Except for that time you hit me. I could never rile you up. It drove me crazy. I was so easy to get under Potter and Weasley's skin, but not you. Yet I couldn't help but keep trying. He paused thoughtfully. I guess you know what they say about boys picking on girls they like, he teased. That broke the dam, and she started laughing. You'll never convince me that you had a crush on me at Hogwarts, she choked out, between giggles clutching Scorpius, who was imitating her. You're right, I didn't, but I absolutely would have if you'd have been a pureblood, maybe even a half-blood. How gracious of you, she spat sarcastically, and then cringed. Well, I didn't mean that. He just shook his head. No, you did, and I deserve it. He cupped the base of her neck, looking her straight in the eye. I might not have been able to admit it, but... I couldn't stay away from you. I couldn't help noticing you. I couldn't help confronting you to try and get you to notice me. You were unbelievable. So brilliant. So brave. I watched you at Hogwarts and I followed your career after that. Now I realise that I simply couldn't help myself. But I didn't really get it until I saw you last Saturday. And what happened then? The words came tumbling out of her mouth. She just had to know. You looked at my son like he was the most precious thing in the world. I waited for months for his own mother to look at him like that, and it only took you seconds. You were kind to us, despite my past, and then he reached for you, and I just saw this woman who had always been off-limits to me, but I couldn't remember why, because she was good and beautiful, and she seemed to adore my son from the moment she laid eyes on him. And so many people sneered at him in the streets. And you who truly had a right to hate me, and to shy away from him because of me. You didn't. 
He's perfect. He deserves nothing but the best, she assured him quickly, without needing to think. He nodded, not breaking eye contact. And I want to give him the best. He looked at her meaningfully, and her heart felt like it skipped a beat. I finally understood that's exactly what you are, and decided right then that they're to do something about it. And what's that? she asked anxiously. Relentlessly pursue you until you agree to be mine, he growled into her ear. The Malfoys always have the best. She shivered, completely ruining the scolding she was preparing to give him for implying that she was some kind of possession. He chuckled. So you don't care? About the kid thing? she asked instead. He sighed heavily and she braced herself. Of course I care. I hate that you suffered and you're still suffering. It just doesn't change anything. And... He hesitated. What? I have almost unlimited resources. If you want a baby, I'll take you to every healer in the world. Do anything to make it happen, he vowed. She shrugged, a little unnerved by the fierceness of his statement, but also wonderfully overwhelmed by the sentiment and by his acceptance. My parents think muggle reproductive treatments might help if I have trouble getting pregnant, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Maybe, he conceded. She took a deep breath and glanced at Scorpius. She felt the need to reciprocate the good faith he was showing her. I'd love him like he was my own, she promised. If we stay together, and it turns out we can't have another baby, I won't feel deprived. I just wanted you to know that. He glanced between them, his eyes warming. I think I did know that. He smiled at her, and then abruptly changed the subject. Uh, have breakfast with us? I'll tell you why I flewed so early. All right, she agreed immediately, having no reason to return to her flat, and glad that he so easily accepted her confession. Effie, he called out, and suddenly there was a house elf standing before them in a neat tea towel tied in a toga-like fashion, beaming. Effie, I'd like you to meet somebody. This is Hermione Granger. Hermione, this is my elf, Effie. She takes excellent care of me and Scorpius. One look at his face, and Hermione realised that he had some idea about her history with elves, and was pleading with her not to upset the little creature standing in front of her. He needn't have worried. Hello, Effie. It's very nice to meet you. I had been wondering how these two got out so well, she said kindly. Effie was pruning under the praise, and Draco shot her a grateful smile. Hermione is going to be around a lot, I hope. Maybe not here at the manor, but once we move, he informed the elf. Hermione heard her own breath hitch. How had she forgotten she was at Malfoy Manor? She'd barely even considered it when she'd opened the flu. Draco, she whispered. Your parents aren't going to come in here, are they? She asked urgently. No, mother rarely comes to my wing, and father even less. Certainly neither of them would arrive before breakfast, and Effie would alert me anyway. He smiled fondly at the elf, and then looked back to Hermione. I'm sorry, I didn't think. Are you uncomfortable being here? No, I'm fine, she answered, realising that she meant it. Well, she wasn't prepared to wander the house or anything like that, 
she felt secure with Draco. He nodded in acceptance. Is there anything in particular you'd like for breakfast? He asked politely. Whatever you usually have is fine, she answered dismissively. He looked at her carefully and then just nodded at Effie, who immediately popped away. Draco rose from the couch and extended his hand to her. He held his arms out for Scorpius and then led her through a set of double doors to a small but formal-looking dining room. "'You don't approve?' Draco asked, sounding amused, and she realised she was giving the room's decor considerable scrutiny. "'It's not that. I mean, it's very nice. It just doesn't look like you, I suppose.' she said, trying to put her finger on why it didn't feel like Draco belonged here, in what was obviously his home. Well, Astoria did the decorating, and this is all much more representative of her taste than mine. That makes sense, then. She took a seat in the chair he pulled out for her. He really did have impeccable manners. He sat next to her at the end of the table, and once he'd placed Scorpius in a high chair at his other side. She suppressed an amused smirk at the sight of the high chair, it matched the rest of the dining set, which she believed was made of mahogany. It had to be, have been specially made, and more expensive than such a contraption had any right to be. It was a reminder, just as his behaviour in the restaurant on Friday had been, that they were Malfoys, and the thought made her only slightly uncomfortable. The table was already set, and almost as soon as they were seated, Effie began popping in with various dishes full of food. When she was finally done, there was far more on the table than two people and a baby could possibly eat. This is what you normally have for breakfast, she stated dubiously, quirking one eyebrow. He just shrugged. It's more than usual, but Effie is trying to figure out what you like. She wants to impress you. It's really not necessary. It makes her happy, he responded firmly. She sighed and nodded, knowing he was right. She had conceded years ago that house elves loved to serve, and that it was cruel to force freedom upon them. That doing so was actually the equivalent of a human being disowned from their family, if not worse. So instead of trying to give every elf in Britain clothes, she joined the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, and began campaigning for legislation that made house elf abuse illegal. The passage of that law had been her crowning achievement in the department, and had earned her a promotion to assistant director of the DMLE, when that position had opened up two years ago. That didn't automatically make her comfortable with the idea of being waited on, though. She had almost gotten used to Creature before he died, but it had been several years since she'd had any regular exposure to the doting services of an elf. "'I think I found a house,' Draco informed her after they began eating. "'Really?' She smiled at him. Yes, he nodded, and that's why I called. I have another appointment to see it in a couple of hours, and I'd like you to come with me. I'd be happy to, but may I ask why? I mean, I'm sure you're perfectly capable of picking out a house that fits you and Scorpius. You know your needs better than I do. He looked at her searchingly. You can be rather dense, you know, Granger. She rolled her eyes. Have you noticed you call me Granger still, when you're being sarcastic or insulting? Habit, I suppose, he shrugged, seemingly unbothered. Don't you want to know how you're being dense? Sure, Malfoy, she said with a heavy emphasis on his last name. Enlighten me. 
You heard what I said to Effie. I'm hoping you'll be spending a lot of time at this house. I want you to like it too. I want it to fit us. All three of us. Oh! It was more of a gasp than a word. Okay then. I'd be glad to come along. Do you still want to go on our picnic afterwards? Of course. That's why I made the appointment for the morning, and so we'd still be able to go this afternoon like we planned. Okay, good, she smiled. Tell me about this house. No. No? she questioned. Why ever not? Because I don't want to colour you your opinions. I want to know what you think when we get there, he said in a tone that brokered no argument, and tucked back into his breakfast. She rolled her eyes and turned back to her own breakfast, allowing him his secrets. For now. Chapter 12 A couple of hours later, when the two Malfoys arrived at her flat, she went to greet them both with a kiss, but stopped short and blinked rapidly at the sight of the man standing in front of her. His appearance was unlike anything she'd ever seen from him before. It was a sight. He was dressed, very flatteringly, like a muggle. He, however, was undeterred and swooped forward, pulling her towards him with the arm not holding Scorpius, and crashed his lips against hers, delving into her mouth with his tongue passionately. She got caught up in the kiss for a few seconds before pushing him away, but he didn't release his hold on her. "'Draco!' she scolded. "'Scorpius is right there!' Oh yes, he looks so upset, he said sarcastically, and nodded towards the baby who was simply preening at them curiously. Anyway, if you're going to stand there with your mouth open, I'm going to put something in it, he leered at her. She smacked him on the chest. You're vile. You're also wearing muggle clothes. It took me by surprise. Where did you get them? She asked, fingering the buttons of his trench coat. It was Burberry. She shouldn't have expected anything less. But how had he known to go to Burberry to get a coat? I tracked down a muggle-born who works for me, and I sent her and my assistant out to buy some things. She knew which shops to go to and what kinds of things I needed, and my assistant knows what I like. This is okay, isn't it? He'd sent his employers out to buy clothes. Of course he had. They lived in different worlds. She stared at him dumbly. She realised that she wasn't really concerned by that stark truth. She shook herself and grinned at him, then began unbuttoning the coat suggestively, pleased when his eyes darkened in response. But the joke was on her when she caught sight of the jeans he had on underneath. She'd already known he had a great body, but there was something about the way he filled out those jeans that actually made her mouth water. I take it you approve? His voice was amused, and she tore her eyes away from his lower body, her skin flushing with embarrassment. He pulled her closer to him. Don't be embarrassed, he whispered huskily, and ran a hand down her spine. I'm very glad you like what you see. I like what I see as well. His hand came to rest on her lower back, its position evocative, but not quite inappropriate. We should go, she said surprised by the breathless quality of her voice. He smirked but didn't comment, and just nodded, gave her the address and preceded her into the flue. In a matter of moments, she arrived in an almost empty office, presumably because it was Sunday. 
She, Draco, Scorpius, and a woman who was looking at them with a forced smile on her face were the only occupants. The woman, who Hermione assumed was the estate agent, was trying to appear professional, but her wide eyes, the way that she was glancing back and forth between them, betrayed her shock. Mrs Rawlings, Draco began formally, it's lovely to see you again. This is my son, Scorpius, and this... Hermione Granger, the woman blurted out. And Draco's eyes narrowed. And that's correct. Miss Granger is a friend. I wanted the opinion of somebody I trust. But I expect your discretion in this matter, he explained, voice cool. Hermione didn't fail to notice the stunned look that flashed across the woman's face when Draco described her as a friend. Of course I apologise. I was simply surprised. It's such a pleasure to meet you, Miss Granger. She stuck out her hand for Hermione to take. It's nice to meet you as well, Mrs Rawlings, she said as she shook her hand. Well, I've had a temporary flu connection set up. Here's the address in case you've forgotten. She handed Draco a slip of parchment. I'll meet you there. Draco nodded and she stepped into the flames. For the second time that morning, Hermione found herself shocked and blinking stupidly at him. Temporary? she questioned. Draco, are we going to look at a muggle house? Yes, he answered rather defensively. Okay, who are you and what have you done with Draco Malfoy? She cringed at the blunt question, but he took it in his stride. I have many layers, love, he murmured, pressing a kiss against her forehead. I'm sure you have a thousand questions, but do you think they can wait until you've at least seen the place? His unwillingness to discuss the house over breakfast was making more and more sense. This obviously had to be seen to be believed. All right, I suppose I can do that, she practically pouted. He chuckled and stepped away from her, then into the flue. She was hot on his heels, and when she stepped out of the flames, this time it was into a large, sunny living area. Hermione was no expert, but the architecture appeared to be in the Georgian style. There's no flu room, obviously, Draco said by way of greeting, but there is a small sitting room at the front of the house that I was thinking could be connected to the network, to keep the traffic out of the main living area at least. Hermione just nodded and looked around, curiously. Surprisingly, the house was empty, its previous owners having apparently already vacated. Just a cursory glance told her that she was going to like the place, although it was certainly grander than anything she was used to. The fact that she was with Draco Malfoy had made that a foregone conclusion. Leave us. I'd like to show Miss Granger around myself. Draco's voice brought her out of her musings. Of course, Mr. Malfoy, Mrs. Rawlings replied. I'll just be in the garden. She bustled away. Hermione waited until the woman had disappeared, and she heard her actually leave the house before striding over to Draco and whacking him in the arm. Draco? she scolded. That was rude. What? he asked cluelessly. You shouldn't just order people around like that. Would it have killed you to ask her to give us some space nicely? She hissed. She works for me, he sneered. Why shouldn't I tell her what to do? Furthermore, I just offered to do her job for her. All she has to do is sit in the garden, and if you like what you see, she'll be making a generous commission. How is that rude? You're such a snob, she huffed. Yes he said immediately, all teasing gone from his manner. And I won't apologise for that. It's who I am. 
I do always try to be fair, but I'm not sorry for having high standards. And you can't expect me to behave the same way you would in every situation. We're very different people. She looked at him for a long moment, reading his expression and feeling rather chastised before giving him a cursory nod. You're right. I won't ask you to be anything other than what you are, but if you truly think you're being rude, I won't keep it quiet. Would it really have killed you to say please? He sighed, obviously put upon. I'll work on it, he promised, but in a tone of voice that made her sure that this would be an ongoing battle. He led her around the house. It was three storeys plus a basement, included six bedrooms and even more bathrooms, a dining room, several large living spaces, one of which Draco said he'd imagined turning into a library, a kitchen which would have made a professional chef weep with joy, and a cinema room. It was far more than two people actually needed, but Hermione got the distinct impression that Draco was actually acting with restraint, and she couldn't say that the house wasn't beautiful, or that he couldn't easily afford it, though she never, ever wanted to know exactly how much he would be paying for it. Also, it wasn't like he needed to worry about keeping it clean or maintained. Effie would be bored with anything smaller, Draco had commented offhandedly at one point. What do you think? he asked, when they'd finished the tour of the interior and returned to the main floor. Well, Merlin, Draco, it's lovely. More than lovely. Will you tell me where we are, now at least? He looked at her smugly. St John's Wood. She'd seen enough out of the windows to not be totally shocked. Then again, it was impossible enough to believe that he was looking to buy a muggle house, much less one in her favourite area of London. Though she was certain that it wasn't coincidence, she had mentioned it to him on Friday, and it's not like he knew a lot about Muggle London. She was both flattered and a little overwhelmed at the mounting evidence of how much he trusted her judgement. Still, she loved the house, and now she knew she would love the neighbourhood. If you let me move into the smallest guest room, I promise not to be a bother to provide for babysitting, she promised fervently, though she meant it as a joke. He chuckled. Are you saying you want to live here? Who wouldn't? she retorted. He bent down and placed Scorpius on the floor to let him explore, and pulled out his wand and cast some safety charms, and then made his way over to her. He placed his hands on her hips, urging her to turn so that her back was pressed against his chest, and wrapped his arms around her waist. When you move in here, it won't be into a guest bedroom. He growled into her ear. She practically melted against his chest, and she had no defence for the emotional maelstrom of his words. Was it too fast? Her brain screamed yes, and was jumping up and down trying to get her attention, but her heart wanted her to place herself permanently in his embrace. Draco, she said helplessly, she could so easily become a fool for this man. This... Nearly out of control feeling was both exhilarating and terrifying. He placed a sweet kiss on her neck, and she relaxed immediately. Shall we take a look at the garden, and then perhaps have a stroll around the neighbourhood? He questioned nonchalantly, giving her a reassuring squeeze. She took a deep breath and allowed him to distract her from the emotional turmoil. She just nodded in acquiescence. He dropped his arms and went to retrieve Scorpius, and then came back over and took her hand. She concentrated on its warm weight in hers as they walked, 
and the soothing cadence of his voice, while he further explained his thoughts on the house and garden. The garden was everything she could have hoped for, plenty of room for Scorpius to play, and a lovely terrace. It wasn't overly large, they were in London after all, but it gave the house space from the neighbours, and would make placing wards to hide any magic from unsuspecting muggle eyes a simple task. The three-car garage meant little to her, and she could drive, but she didn't have a car, and she supposed it was good for storage, if nothing else, but she had a feeling Draco would end up putting it to use with his intent to purpose sooner rather than later. So a muggle house? She finally asked the obvious question as they walked down the drive. It's your fault, he winked at her. She considered him for a moment, confidently striding out the gate into the muggle neighbourhood. They pushed the pram, which a few minutes ago Draco had pulled from his pocket and enlarged, together like they had done it a hundred times before. You don't have to prove anything to me, she finally said. Hadn't she been worried just days ago about this very issue, that as much as she lived in the magical world, with his upbringing, that she would never be able to reconcile the way she lived with the way he did? but apparently he was light years ahead of her on the issue, or at least light years ahead of what she'd expected. I have my own motivations, and the fact that I thought you would approve is certainly one of them, but there are others. She just looked at him expectantly. I've told you I want the best for my son. Of course, she agreed quickly. It has recently come to my attention that living exclusively within the magical world is not what's best for him. Oh? She questioned innocently, though she was startled by the confession. When we were out the other night, in the muggle world, I couldn't help but notice how nobody noticed us. Nobody wondered what the Death Eater was doing with the war heroine. Nobody glared at Scorpius just because he is my son. Some people even smiled at him, and they looked at us like we were a normal couple, a normal family. Her heart ached for him and with desire to make that idea a reality. And it hasn't escaped my notice that by remaining ignorant of the muggle world, I am actually ignorant of most of the world. I once thought it beneath my notice, but I can see how wrong I was. And I don't just want Scorpius to be free of the prejudices for my youth. I want him to experience everything that was denied me. What better way than to live in a muggle neighbourhood? He. We can learn to live easily in either world. He'll have free access to a society that won't judge him for his last name, or the mistakes of my past. Once I started thinking about it, it was an easy decision. Hermione opened her mouth to reply, only to find herself speechless, but he preempted any response that she could have come up with. I know this may seem extreme or premature to you, but the idea of getting out of the public eye has been one that I've been contemplating for a while. I simply couldn't imagine how I could accomplish it without leaving Britain, if not the continent entirely. And I know that I'm grossly ignorant of muggle culture, but I hope I'm not being presumptuous in thinking that I now have someone in my life who would be willing to guide me. It was by far the most vulnerable she'd ever seen him, even taking into account the time in the apothecary the week before, or even the moments that morning when he'd apparently believed that she'd misled him about being romantically involved with Harry. She was touched that he'd allow himself to open up to her and trust Ingwitha. She knew he must be at war with his every instinct, as well as all the lessons of his childhood. 
He hadn't been placed in Slytherin without the hat ever needing to touch his head for nothing. Not presumptuous at all, she answered, and the house is beautiful, as long as you really like it. I do, he confirmed. It doesn't hurt that my parents would never think to look for me here, and once they have the address, they'll avoid visiting. He smirked his usual smirk, but she saw a fragility behind the confident expression. He may have been financially, even politically well-positioned, but he'd grown up measuring success by his father's approval, and he was setting plans in motion that ensured that he may never have it again. It was attractively and rather uncharacteristically brave, and she decided not to insult his intelligence by questioning him further. And she was flattered that some of this may have been inspired by her, but she was mostly blown away by the steps she was willing to take to ensure his son's happiness. As attractive as he'd been to her before, it was increasing, seemingly exponentially, with every moment she spent with him. In that case, I think it's a good idea. I also think it's incredibly smart, and I would be happy to help you, however you need, she vowed. I just want you to be here, he said seriously. That I can do, she said with equal sincerity. Draco had made the final decision to buy the house almost as soon as they'd begun to stroll the neighbourhood, and so he'd wrapped up his business with Mrs Rawlings immediately upon returning to the house after their walk, and then once Effie had popped in with a basket of food, they departed for their picnic. They ate and flirted and played with Scorpius for hours. Hermione's mother had laughed at her plan to have a picnic in London, in November, but Hermione had reminded her that there were only so many places you could take an infant, and that the entirety of the wizarding world was off-limits to them if they wanted to remain under the radar. She defended that they would come up with an alternative plan if the weather didn't cooperate, but their luck held, and the weather sided with them. It was a lovely day, made even nicer with a few subtly cast warming charms. They talked while Scorpius soothed on the blanket at their feet, deciding to take things between them slowly, which appeased Hermione's restlessness and panicky brain. They also agreed to keep their relationship quiet for the time being. While they were very much in tune concerning their desires to go ahead with it, they wanted to establish a solid foundation before exposing it to public scrutiny. It was not uncommon for Hermione to be photographed simply strolling down Diagon Alley. Draco was also well known, even if he was slightly less likely to be folded in the press, and given their shared history, any news of a friendship between them, much less a romantic relationship, was sure to be explosive. They fully intended to enjoy the calm before the storm. 